Hello, and welcome to Alpha Podflight, where every episode a guest joins me to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. My name's Gareth A. Hopkins, and this time I'm joined by Tom Ward. Tom, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hey guys, my name's Tom Ward. Um, I've been writing comics for a while now. Um, you may be most familiar with me with my series, Merrick the Sensational Elephant Man. It's very good. Everyone should be familiar with it. Um, right, and this time we are going to talk about Alpha Flight 13, titled Nightmare, with an exclamation mark. Um, the We'll talk about why, but the the jobs that people are given aren't specified, but we know that Byrne, Yankus, Higgins, O'Neill and Shooter were the people who worked on this comic. Um, right, Tom, could you give us a brief synopsis of what happens and then we'll go into it a bit deeper. Cool. Um, I think it's probably important to start with kind of the, the cliffhanger from the previous issue on some. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to make much sense in context. So the the final splash page of issue 12 is essentially Heather is found. Guardian has just been vaporized. Um, and, you know, next issue, Nightmare. So we start issue 13, the cover. It's um, Heather in a graveyard. Wolverine stood over her and he's saying, <laughs> OK, sucker, the only way to get to the lady is through me. Um, after that, we get straight into it. It's... Um, it's Guardian's funeral. Um, Alpha Flight are assembled. Um, there's no mistake in the fact that James Hudson is dead. Um, and what happens next is, um, you know, 11 pages of silence. Yep. Um, it opens with a wonderfully bleak silhouette splash page, the title Nightmare with the exclamation mark, like you said, across the top. Um, the credits are really nicely on tombstones, which I quite like. And then, um, yeah, it's James Hudson's funeral. All Alpha Flight is in attendance. Um, and to be honest, I think it's like it's quite a wonderful bit of character work. I, I really like it, yeah. There's a lot like, going on, yeah. I think like compared to like the other issues and the comics of the time, this is like real decompressed, as opposed to kind of like quite text-heavy, quite yeah. busy issues that we've seen before. So, yeah, um, it's the funeral. They're all there. Heather's mourning one by one. The men team leave over the preceding pages um, she lays down on the tombstone um, and kind of Wolverine's watching from the, he's kind of not been there but he's been watching it in the background she lays down on the tombstone which bursts open and there's a flaming demonic floating corpse of I'm supposing Guardian yeah. who kind of comes after her Wolverine steps in, those two they get down to it, superhero style have a bit of a scrap, Heather runs away it overpowers Wolverine, chases her down, catches her, and then it looks like it's about to kind of kiss her yes. when she screams and wakes up one month later um, in a motel in Ontario or something. Um, and then we kind of get back to the kind of really quite dense comics after those 11 pages. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, um, She's with the rest of Alpha Flight. She's with Puck and um, Shaman, is it? Yeah. And they're talking about kind of new beginnings and accepting that Mac's gone. And she's been having this recurring nightmare for a month now, pretty much every night. Um, and that's it's quite interesting. There's kind of like talking about symbolism, about endings and new beginnings here. Mm-hmm. And then um, Puck and Shaman have a bit of a chat kind of based around the morality of what's happened to Smart Alec, who's yes. been trapped in Shaman's pouch. Yeah. And 
Puck so he kind of comes across as like a real good dude yeah, and like solid gold and so when he kind of brings this subject up you're like oh he's going to be like we've gone too far with this one yeah, and it's kind of a surprise that he's like I deserve it I'd have gone further <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah <I'll, laughs> even though I've read this before when I read it again today I was like that's pretty hardcore Puck um, yeah yeah it's pr- pretty intense for someone to like be shrunk down into like some pocket dimension and lose their minds but you know that's not it is away. what it is isn't it it's yeah <laughs> um, then we kind of bounce straight out of that um and you know next thing you know heather she's with puck again they go and talk to the canadian government uh, mm-hmm. um, and basically tell them the guardian's dead uh and then they do a recap of everything that's happened yeah pages yeah which is strange being that it literally leads up to the previous issue um so like you're you've really just seen all this happen but you know let's let's do it again um and then the government say you know um this was like black ops you weren't officially affiliated with we can do this i'm really sorry about it but you know there's no money we can't help you heather takes that remarkably well because you know we're keeping this moving um and then what happens next? Um, yeah, so she decides that she's not beaten yet. She actually says Heather McNeil Hudson isn't beaten yet. And then we get a one-page, um, just totally different. We see a, cat, a man who we've never oh, seen yeah, before. Set. And he gets dr- he's running away from something in Toronto and then gets dragged into the water in the docks. It's essentially the first page of the next issue. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Um, there's also a bit where, yeah, we kind of establish that Heather is, you know, no husband, no job, no home. Alpha Flight is disbanded as far as she's concerned. Like, we kind of took things right back down to, like, the bottom level to build them back up again with this issue, yeah. which I think is quite fun. Yeah. Fun's not off the word, but, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's done. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it's downbeat, uh, for sure. But then I suppose that's what... Um, yeah, that, I think that's one of the things which this does really well is that um, superheroes are famous for dying and then coming back very soon afterwards. And what this is, and if a character dies in one issue, they maybe talk about it in the next issue, but they're still racing ahead with whatever the next story is. And this whole issue is just dealing with the fact that the leader of the superhero team is gone and he's not coming back. Yeah, um, which is a really interesting next issue to do. Uh, I, I think this one, like, it rounds off like the whole first chapter, really. Well, yeah. maybe second chapter. Like, it, it's a proper full stop in like an ongoing story, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of why I like it. Yeah, and it gets it shows it does the same thing which a lot of uh, Alpha Flight does when John Byrne is working on it, which focus in on a small number of the characters. Um, I think this is one of the few instances, other than when they all get together to have a massive fight in the previous issue, it's the first time you see all of Alpha Flight together at the funeral. Yeah. Um, But only three of them talk in the entire issue as well. Yeah. Um, Right, so if we talk about quickly about, well, talk for as long as we like, really, um, about this 11-page silent dream sequence. Um, Because... I think, oh, sorry, I, I, we got too far into it too quickly. I forgot to ask you what your history is with Alpha Flight. 
Damn. Um, pretty much, I think, from here and yours, is very much the same. You grab that grab that Alpha Fight Classics volume 2 from the work. Great, from the works, a great value, £5. Yeah. And, you know, there's not much I won't read for £5, do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think I'm pretty sure I've read some X-Men crossovers as well, but mm. I think that's that's the kind of basis that I'm on it. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, right, so we've bottomed that out. Um, so your experience would have been similar to mine in that this will be your first exposure to Alpha Flight, uh, and what you've read so up to this point is um, Sasquatch fighting uh, the Super Scroll. Yeah, we come in, at issue, come in at issue nine, don't yeah. we, and we have that. Um, so you yeah. get that. And then there's the, du- the double length as well. Yeah, and then the, the double the length. preceding issue. Yeah, and then... Uh, he dies, and then and there's loads of interesting stuff in that previous issue, which I'll talk about another time. And then you just get this really audacious sequence of of, of just no dialogue, um, and it's such an interesting choice for for Byrne to make. Um, and there's so I mean, firstly, first is the art, uh, and I think you touched upon it, but it's really stark. So, whereas in previous issues, Byrne was rendering as much as possible, by the time he's got to issue 13, he's pulling right back from the amount that he's drawing, and he's drawing less and less, and he's conveying as much as he can with as little as possible. Yeah. Uh, Which is handy for a funeral. So, they're all dressed in black with accents of white, uh, which means that even when characters aren't silhouetted, they're still essentially in silhouette. Um, and it means that the shape. Yo, I think. Go on. The, the, the first panel is there, like you say, they're all in black on the white background. Yeah. The priests in white, but they're all touching, which is kind of like it's symbolic. There's still a theme, isn't it? Because yeah. they're they're one they're one thing on the page. Mm. Like there's not really a distinction between any of the characters, even like um, you know North Star. He's like I quite like that he's kind of out at the side, away from the main group, but he's still there, just yeah. touching it. He's still it's, there. It's really nice. Yeah, it is. And then what we get is um, one by one, we see how each of the members of the team ex- express their grief uh, and how they deal with Heather in particular. So Shaman is very understanding and sort of fatherly around her. Snowbird is quite aloof and just sort of touches her head and then flies off as an owl. Um, we see uh, Walter and Aurora, and they're together. They're a unit now. They're a couple. Uh, and then Aurora cries on Heather's shoulder and they walk off together. And then Northstar, who's been stood apart from them this entire time, um, he can't bring himself to interact with Heather and he, he flies off angrily, which I think is really as a nice piece of character work for him. Yeah, I really like that. But like like you say, he's kind of, he's there and then it feels quite cold and like she goes to touch him and he kind of turns away and then flies off. But at the same time, he's the last person to leave. Well, second to last person to leave. Yeah. Um, which I think is quite like if he, if that was the first thing that happened, it would come across as like cold and he, like North Star's a dick, isn't he? But like he's kind of just like he's a bit cold, isn't he? He like he, is, he, he yeah. still likes he still likes everyone. He still he still cares about them. He just he has trouble being in touch with his emotions and whatnot. And I think um, because he really blames everyone else for Guardian dying. And I think he liked being in Alpha Flight um, until this point. And he, there's a few instances later on. So even into 
um, when Guardian comes back from the dead. Uh, that's when Northstar rejoins the group. But he is very cruel to anybody who he thinks is to blame for that death. Um, and I think he takes it worse than anybody else, apart from Heather, obviously. Um, and then we get Puck. Yeah. Um, and it's an, it's, again, it's a really nice piece of character work, Puck, because um, as this goes on, we find out that he's in love with Heather. But just in this page, you can you can see that. So he's very cautious in reaching out to her. And then you get a really close-up of him uh, sort of embracing her, and then he walks off. Yeah, it's just like a really tender moment, isn't it? Yeah. It's dead nice. Like, you don't see it, like that kind of thing in comics from this kind of time period, I don't think, very often. Yeah, and I think it's this sort of thing which is why people like Puck so much as well. That he's like, the, the roughhouser, he's a bruiser, and he likes to, to get bit to get into it but at the same time he's got this real deep sensitive core um, and I think that's one of the things which people uh, gravitate towards with that character and then we see Wolverine all moody and smoking behind a tree um, and then yeah and then it goes into like the horror comic with this, this skeleton like breaking out of the ground and chasing her um, and Wolverine does his hero stuff and then literally gets his head burnt off and it's around it's not until she wakes up you realise it's a dream but it's a real background moment that I didn't actually notice it until like right. I've, re- I've reread it a couple of times because the main focus is Heather running away and yeah like Wolverine's just had his face absolutely burnt off and just cast aside it's it's quite, it's quite yeah. intense really yeah it's good um, and Heather runs away her glasses break and the, the panels like really break down the action and it's sort of slow motion. Um, and Byrne has shown that he can convey, in, in other issues of the comic, he's, he's shown that he can convey a lot of action in only a few panels. But here he really drags it out. Um, uh, and even down to the, the last three panels of this sequence where the skeleton grabs her face and then slowly brings it to her. And her face moves from the right to the left of the panel with each with each new panel yeah. she moves slightly further across until she wakes up and the colour changes um, I don't think she realises that it is a kiss until like the second to last panel either you can like yeah. almost see the like, kind of dawning on her yeah it's good um, yeah it is and it's, it is an amazing sequence um, it's like proper gothic horror in it yeah um, and what's also interesting is in terms of like the psychology of this is that this flaming spectre which comes out of the ground is her last memory of yeah of guardian because she sees him literally yeah um burst into flames and then just sort of uh, like get obliterated as a pile of ash at the end um later in the issue shaman says i'm pretty sure it's shaman says there wasn't a body to bury um, yeah and that's why they can't get the insurance money yeah because he's that dead um yeah and then so we go from that from that um, proper decompressed audacious comic and then uh, yeah you're right there's almost two comics in one here there's that one and then there's this other sort talking of heads talking heads drama thing where people just talk about how they're feeling and what they're going to do with a two and a half page flashback to literally the previous issue um, that is um, we can partly blame Jim Shooter for so I don't know if you know this but um, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief at Marvel and his policy was that anybody who picked up a comic in a series 
had to be able to work out what had gone on before so that okay. you weren't allowed to pick up a comic and not understand what was happening. I, uh, I kind of had my own pet theories about this, what this yeah, one on. as well, to be honest. So, like, Alpha Flight, I think it's fair to say, were kind of guilty of always being the super team that weren't the X-Men. Yeah? Yeah. I think so. So, you know, what's, what? Let, let's boost sales a bit on this one. Let, let, throw Wolverine on the cover. It's like sound, right? We've got Wolverine on the cover. We'll get some new readers there. So we yeah, kind that's of throw, definitely part of it, yeah. We throw them Wolverine. We throw them this horror thing. That's a dream. doesn't really matter. Wolverine was never really there, but they're here now. So let's catch them up with what's happened in the last issue, which was a double-sized special issue, which, again, is kind of... That's a technique to get new readers on, isn't it? It's like yeah. double-sized special, re- special issue. Someone's going to die. That's been advertised for two months. And then it's like, well, people might pick this one up. It's got Wolverine on. Catch them up. And then the last page, what we said, is like the first page of a new comic. So almost rather than just having like a finish and you're like, oh, that was all right. It's like, get them hooked on the first page of the next one. They'll get the next issue. It's just like, it's that kind of like cheesy classic, get more books sold, I reckon. Yeah, And that's one of the things I like about it is that you you can see behind the curtain a little bit. And you can, from reading it, you can see how they went about it. So, I mean, for instance, um, when Heather Puck and, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Shaman. Um, they go and visit uh, Gary Cody at the Canadian government. The reference that John Byrne had, I, I'm guessing, is a wide-angle shot of the building and then an internal shot of the Prime Minister's office. Which is huge. Which is massive, yeah. Like that's like a that's like a two three hundred foot window. That it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then Gary has this line about, oh yeah, it's it's all a bit messed up here, so I'm just using this as my temporary office. Um, well, there's no way that's a temporary office. He's he's a low level uh, spook who is uh, on the way out. He's he's on the. He, he says later on that he doesn't see himself having a job very soon. He's got no clout. But, yeah, he can just borrow the Prime Minister's office. Um, yeah, there's little things like that, which I, I found quite nice. Um, yeah, so uh, um, one other thing. Oh, yeah, so let's talk about what did you like in this issue. Um, I really like the, the decompression, the, the silent pages, like they're really good. Um, I really like the sense of pacing on them mm. because like when I started reading the Alpha Flight series, it was kind of nice, the, the kind of compressed storytelling, like compared to what we're used to now, it's like so much happens in an issue. There's so much, you know, text, like you're getting like a big dense block of information. Yeah. But then that kind of kind of grated on me after a while so it was nice to just have a bit of breathing room um and like you say it's just done so nicely yeah like it feels like a, a cop out but like it's so nice at the same time you don't mind do you know what i mean it is i mean you could read this and say because burn was the writer so he could make a decision about what he was going to write on this um and with another writer so say stan lee had written this he would take these pages, which work perfectly well as they are, and he would just whack exposition over it. Everybody would be having a chat about something or other. There'd be you can almost see the first caption, which is like they stand in silence on yeah. their lonely vigil, and then. But um, there's been a conscious decision just to like not 
put any of that stuff in and just let the story tell itself. Yeah, it makes it quite morbid because like all the other fight scenes in the series are kind of like there's all that kind of Marvel fight banter. Yeah. From every character, someone throws a punch and they got like wise crack their way through it kind of thing in a really kind of cringy way sometimes. Yeah. So it's it's quite it matches the funeral. It's so stark. It's um, I like it. It's good. Yeah. Um, and also uh, we mentioned the the uh, the credits are put on tombstones. And he uses the tombstones a couple of other times, mostly on the cover. I don't know if you noticed that um, Bill Sinkovich has got one. Uh, Miller. Oh, you don't see the full name, but you see Sinker, which I'm guessing is Bill Sinkovich in the background. Um, Rom, I'm guessing, is John Romita. Um, Byrne is right there in the foreground. And then you've got Mill, which I'm guessing is uh, Frank Miller. Yeah. Um, they've all got their own tombstones on the cover there. And then every now and again, you'll see a tombstone in in this dream sequence, which has something written on it, which I think was the one weakness of the sequence is because I found myself trying to work out who was being referenced on that tombstone as I was reading. Yeah, it's like this Finch is one of them, isn't it? That popped up to me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that must be David Finch. But David Finch didn't start working in comics until at least 10 years after this. So it's probably not him. And then there's, uh, it's either Hubler or Hula. Uh, and I googled that and couldn't find any reference to anybody in real life. So, yeah, that did sort of, that was one of the weaknesses of the sequence for me. Uh, and it's obviously just like played about as you, as you would do if you're on your creator own comic. Um, but it's just a little bit of a shame. Uh, for me personally. Uh, everyone loves an Easter egg. Uh, it's just his mate's names in it. He bet his mate's yeah, twenty quid yeah. that he could put put them in a comic. <laughs> like. Yeah, and maybe he'd sold too few issues of the previous one, so he's like, if I put my friends' names, <laughs> they'll, they'll have to buy it. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, that's a good bit. Oh, I, I, like the stuff I like about this one is the stuff that I also would say I probably wouldn't like about it. Yeah, go on. Like, like the. Um, the total pulling the rug from under your feet, Wolverine on the cover, like that kind of stuff. That's that's one of the huge things I love about yeah. comics. Like yeah. like you know when it's just like oh my god, like Superman's dead. You know he's not dead, but like it's yeah. on the cover to suck like like gullible kids in. I just, I love that. I think it's hilarious. And yeah. um, if I was a kid, I'd be furious every time. <laughs> and that's why it's funny. Um, I mean Wolverine and- does get chucked on a lot of covers um, and just put into an issue of a comic. And you know he's there just... It's, it's a sales injection, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that's exactly what they're going for. And the fu- the funny part is, it's like, the whole sequence is like, did that even happen? Yeah. Like, is it, is it like a touching character piece, or is it all a dream? It's like, you, you could argue that that was what happened, and she lies on the tombstone and falls asleep, and then that's where the dream starts, and Wolverine yes. was in the background watching, or you yeah. could argue that the whole thing was a dream and none of it ever happened. And that's... So, the- yeah, it is ambiguous. It does leave you to create your own interpretation. So either it's a real thing that happened and then we get told the dream or all of this is taking place in Heather's head. And so how the characters react are her, is in her head, interpretations yeah. of how those characters react. So, yeah, I really like that. And then I like I like the cheesy catch up. It's like you read this last issue. We're gonna, let's go through this again. It feels like a quick way to smash some pages out. Yeah. And also um, if. If you're going to be really cynical, you could say John Byrne uses this flashback 
and he doesn't have to work out how to pace or place the characters in these panels because he's literally just copying panels from previous comics. Yeah. Um, which is one way to look at it. And as I said, his um, by this point, he has stopped drawing everything on the page and is really bringing it down to to the most elemental things that he, he can get away with. And to me, it looks like he's drawing, a, and again, I don't know this for sure, but it looks like he's drawing with a felt tip. He's, it, it doesn't look like he's inking with a brush anymore. Um, and because it's got a lot quicker, looser quality to it. Um, but that could just be my, my guess. I, I, w- I wouldn't be able to comment on that one, to be honest. Yeah. But- I like, I like the kind of blues and reds, like kind of basic colours, bring it back down. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. It looks nice. I think, and when I read this, I just, you let the colours sort of happen. You don't worry too much about them. Um, but Ken has mentioned them, and Tony mentioned it when he was on, that some of the colours are really bizarre choices. Um, like, they're all really... and. Part of it may be because it was designed that they knew that the colour was going to soak into the paper, so it didn't matter so much. But I mean, when um, Puck and Shaman are talking about Smart Alec, um, one of the backgrounds is just like a really bright magenta. It's like full pink, um, which seems like an odd choice. That's the colour of Smart Smart Alec's uniform. Yeah, it is. Um, so it could it could be because of that. Um, who's colouring it? Uh, oh, Andy Yankis. So he, he did nearly, I think he did all of um, Alpha Flight. I'm not sure if he carried on after Burn left, but he, he definitely did all of these. So him and Burn, hoping, were sort of in. Yeah, uh, they were talking to each other about what colours should go where. Um, yeah. And then there's. I found it really jarring uh, on page 20 of this when Heather's talking to um, Cody and they've put they've put a square behind it in the frame and then it's like a yellow and red two-tone. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a really bizarre choice. Um, and I don't think you'd get it through editorial now. I don't think you'd be allowed to do that um, because it just looks so weird. Um, but yeah, you could, I guess... Uh, when you're superstar John Byrne, you can you can do what you want. Yeah, the second square is a bit of a bit of an odd choice. Yeah. Um, was there anything else? I know that you've got some notes. Um, basically, that I I I just I like all the the tropes from comics. So the kind of fake out cover, I like that. The, the dream sequence that's a bit fake, I like that. I like yeah. I I even like the the hook for the next issue, bring that yeah. straight in on this issue. Like all, all that kind of stuff. Like I understand you could be like really cynical about it. And in a lot of ways with the kind of big two and the time period, like it was very cynical, but like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff I like playing with, like writing my book. Like I like take the kind of expectations of those tropes and kind of like try and put like a, a bit of a new twist on it. Yeah. And um, I just think it's dead, dead fun. Like that's proper, that's like proper comics to me. Yeah. And this last page, um, when I was talking before about how with a dream sequence another writer would just like cover it in exposition this yeah. last page is all of that so every single word is that style of exposition that he's, he's managed to not use at the start of the comic and yeah. by this point he's just chucking it on it's like a narrator out of nowhere just yeah. just like proper dense 
hyperbole. Just yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? But it's Jacob great. won't make it, and you see him like his his head's off the panel, and the rest of him's yeah. through the air. It's it's show show don't tell has gone out the window. It's like let's push <laughs> options on this. It's great. Yeah, um, but he, I mean, he does give him a second name, Jacob Jacob Vandenet. Is that's who's running for his life? Um, so well, he's he, going to die in two panels, so that seems a bit yeah. pointless. Like, <laughs> but it's yeah. that it's that hook, isn't it? So, like, how do you make someone care about a character if they're make, if they're make him Dutch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make him Dutch and give him a full name, um, so people <laughs> care a little bit more. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, what else? Oh yeah, so uh, uh, we talked about the Wolverine thing. I made some things. So we talked about the cover, talked about being sort of, uh, yeah. So we talked about the main things that I want to talk about. So uh, I would like to come back to um, Puck and his his character as we see it here. Because um, he's one of only essentially three characters in this, or at least in the second half. It's yeah. Him. Him, Shaman, and Heather, and I think we learn the most about Puck here. So Shaman does what Shaman does in all of them, which is be a healer, be a medicine man, make some make some non decisions, and just sort of be a steady. He's very much the straight man, isn't he, of the group? Yeah. He's just kind of like reliable, good old reliable Shaman. He'll do what's right in the end. Yeah. Level-headed. Um, but he never does. That, that, I've mentioned it a few <laughs> times. He always does it wrong. Just invariably he he's the one that cocks up the strongest uh, like the fact that he's carrying smart aleck around in his bag as like a, a toy sized body um that he's, he's well like, intentioned though he says he's, got, he's gonna i'm gonna fix it eventually i'll, I'll get around to it at some point um and i'd say how he gets fixed eventually except that that's in the issue that i'm going to talk about with amy eventually um and that's not till 45 so that's the next time we see Smart Alec after this. Um, and that's a totally different team working on it. Uh, yeah. But so going back to Puck, we see him and he's obviously worried about Heather. And he's talking about how he's been around. He makes a reference to the Jatravi peoples of the Serengeti, uh, which is like a, a little one balloon hint that he is, he's been around and he, he knows what's going on. Um, Shaman mentions that he's got uh, a depth that nobody because when he's introduced he's sort of like a he's a bouncer, he beats up loads of uh, normal sized people uh, normal standard sized people you know you know what I mean yeah. um, and then he makes some jokes and um, and then here we, we start to see more of his personality um, and how he goes about uh, and he says, I've got depth I haven't even used yet. A? Oh, yeah, because he always says A. Uh, that's something which surprisingly hasn't come up. <laughs> he's, he's the Canadian character who's given a, a full, like, Canadian speech pattern with A's in it. Um, yeah, and he doesn't explicitly say in this point that he's in love with Heather. He, he does say it, in, it doesn't take very long for him to, to confess that. Um, but you get that sense that his concern, although it's for his friend, there's also something else going on there. Uh, and yeah, as you say, he says that he's uneasy about the way that Shaman dealt with Smart Alec. Uh, and for those who haven't caught it, 
during the previous fight, Smart Alec thought that he was clever enough to fight, work out how Shaman's mystical bag pouch thing worked, and so looked directly into it and lost his mind. Uh, and then Shaman shrank him down and put him in the bag to keep him safe. So Shaman says, "I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix him," and then Puck says, "That's too good for him." <laughs> Uh, restoring his mind is too good for the likes of him and you realise that uh, although he's got this tenderness he's also uh, mercenary and he's probably the same way that Wolverine in some ways he is the Wolverine of Alpha Flight in that he is willing to go further than the others are for his objectives so Wolverine was always uh, trying to kill people and being stopped at the last minute by Cyclops and you get the sense that um, Puck would do that. And also, later on, when um, Gary Cody says that uh, Heather can't have a pension or any money, Puck's reaction is to is to beat him up. <laughs> and he gets, he gets convinced <laughs> not to. <laughs> but um, he says, I'd like to take a pound of flesh out of your miserable hide as partial compensation. <laughs> um, and then when it's all cleared up, you just get this little thought bubble um, from Puck, who's still off the side and says, I'd still like to just pop him one. But that's weird in itself, isn't it? Because there's, there's no other thought bubbles. It's no, just like, it's, it's completely out of nowhere. <laughs> um, and also worth mentioning is that um, after they've met Gary, they all go for lunch in a clown-themed restaurant called Jojo's. And I don't know if this is a Canadian chain or if it's a Canadian landmark, but it does seem maybe it's just the time going to a Canadian themed uh, sorry a clown themed diner was was normal not creepy at all yeah uh, especially yeah. three adults three three like grown ups <laughs> I know like, it's a bit sinister isn't it um, yeah because there's families eating there and there's <laughs> there's some nice like crowd work so we see, um, in the forefront of, of the panel where we see them at the table um, there's a family of uh, there's a mother, a father, and three children, and they're not rendered very, very carefully. They're, they're very, uh, the line work is very sparse. But the dad is clearly pissed off at having to eat in this restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and the waiter seems to have like a bow tie and is like very, very kind of well dressed for a clown-themed cafeteria. Um, it's just maybe you know, it's just a Canadian thing. Mate, do you think it's supposed to be like a, t- a rip-off of McDonald's? I've just thought. Maybe, yeah, it's got the same bins and trays. Yeah, and they're all stood at... Yeah, so maybe it's that. Maybe it's uh, a clever, a wry satire on on McDonald's. Or just a way to dodge copyright. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, was there anything about this that you didn't like? Was there anything that you strongly objected to? The, again, it's the, the stuff I would object to is the stuff that I like at the same time. <laughs> like, like, I feel like he's he, he's just rinsed through some pages. Um, like you you could say like the first eleven pages, like you could have compressed it down to like one or two. Yeah. Um, and he's like he's just like that's 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 half a half a twenty two page comic book. That eleven, just rinse that, and then he he's got the three page catch up. So that's a rinse, isn't it? Yeah. And then he's got the first page of the next issue, so that's a rinse. Yeah. So, like, it's on one hand very clever, on one hand very, yeah. you know, you're kind of... He does something which I really like, 
um, which is also, as you say, a rinse, which is to photocopy photos of places and then put them in as pals. I, I suspected that. With, yeah, I suspected that with the Canadian um, government building. There's, uh, the Canadian government building looks like he might have drawn that from reference. Maybe, because it's a bit looser. But once you see the... Uh, um, there's one of uh, Toronto, and then when yeah. it moves... Uh, no, sorry. It's not Toronto. It's uh, Ottawa, I think, where they are. There's a picture of Ottawa, and then it shifts to Toronto. And in both cases, it looks like a, a photograph or um, a photocopy that... Um, photocopy to the saturation right up, isn't it? Yeah. That the, and But I really like that. I really like the look of it, and I actually enjoy seeing it. But um, when I was talking about uh, 106 where they do a similar thing where they need to show Toronto from the air and he just draws the buildings which are in the foreground and then just doesn't, just, everything else looks flat uh, and it really wound me up. <laughs> I, wish, I wish he just like found some photo reference and then put the characters on top of it. Uh, it would have been more honest if, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, but I, lo- I love all those little cheats that, you know, 22 pages of comics. There's a lot. It's a lot of pages to do in in a month. Like yeah, the, and he was doing the Fantastic better the cheat, four as well. More, more so he's doing... like the situation is. I think like yeah, absolutely better, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, and he's doing Fantastic Four at the moment, so he's actually doing 44 pages, uh, including Write, covers. writing and art. So yeah. like you, like those shortcuts you're going to take, you've got to really think outside the box and come up with some kind of interesting solutions to getting the pages. Yeah, including so, down, down, I really to, down to the silhouettes during the... Um, so, uh, and it, for me, it shows how uh, well Byrne knows his craft, is that he still gets all the body language in. Yeah. He doesn't have to draw any of the details on the body to do it. He's essentially just using the hands, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and, like, the way that they're standing uh, to convey all of that, um, which I think is really cool. Um Although the the panel where I mean Snowbird, she, she just her hairline is too far down. <laughs> it's almost down to the the eyebrows level, isn't it? And I, I guess that's because she's supposed to be like sort of half like part animal, uh, and she hasn't got her her eyes are just like black. Yeah, her profile's really horrible on the the next page in as well when she touches yeah. Heather's forehead. It, it's it's like. Ron Perlman in that Beauty and the Beast TV show, like her bottom <laughs> lip is like taking up her entire chin. It's yeah, um, and that's what that character looks like, except for when she's uh, going to work, when she's in a uh, RCMP uniform. Yeah, she, uh, she does her hair properly. But um, yeah, I when I spoke to Sean, um, he spoke about issue one and talking about favourite characters, and um, he was like, "Well, I was like, everyone's favourite character is Puck, pretty much." He's like, "Yeah, but." If someone, there are people I know whose favourite character is Snowbird, and I don't really trust them as people anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I couldn't believe that somebody's favourite character could be Snowbird. Um, but yeah, there's a panel here where she starts turning into an owl, uh, and that's a bit. Partly, it's down to her character design, but it's the weakest thing in the sequence, I think, when she's got her arms in the air. And she's her clothes are starting to turn into sort of a bird shape. 
that's yeah. that's that's an economy of speed of time as well, isn't it? it? Is, that's, and he's it's he's thrown a load of ink down and then throwing some legs and some hair on it and bish yeah. bash bosh, we're done. And I'm being very very critical uh, about what I think is uh, fantastic sequence in comics. Um, yeah, so I think we have just about covered everything that we want to talk about. Um, uh, we could talk about some of the. I've just noticed that um, he doesn't. Most of these backgrounds haven't been filled in with any great detail, but um, where he's got paintings in the bedrooms, um, just uh, behind Puck, he's actually whoever did the original, he's put their signature in, um, which is uh, unnecessary. Like I don't see why he would have had to do that, but he obviously wanted to. So maybe it's one of his friends has done a painting and he's recreating it. Um, the backgrounds are really nice when the corpse kind of comes out the ground as well. It's like that kind of splashy, inky, yeah, almost yeah. a bit Jack Jack Kirby kind of, almost these little spheres kind of thing coming out. It's yeah. nice. The different like you got the couple of shades of you got the yellow, the orange, the kind of like dark kind of grey green, and then just kind of like black swirls, black kind of. Yeah, know, and smoke. this is where he's obviously given uh, the colorist really strong instruction because if you just look at the inks uh, the inks don't by themselves don't describe everything so the colorist had to come in and fill in some of the shapes which haven't been drawn yeah uh but yeah you're right in terms of how he's inked this fire he's just overloaded his brush and then let it go dry as he's gone um which is uh, and yeah uh i mean i've when I ink, my brush is always going dry because I'm really lazy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really like how he does that. He does something similar um, in Nine, where he tries to uh, draw the Aurora Borealis by uh, letting his brush go dry and then dragging it up the page. And it, look, it doesn't look very good there, but it, it looks <laughs> um, It probably matches the kind of like the horror, kind of hellfire vibe of it. Yeah, it's it's really good. It almost looks like he he might not like. There's not much line work on the corpse itself. It's just like has he just gone straight to ink on it? Yeah, I think so. Had a bit of an outline or something. Yeah, so it looks like the colorists had to sort of guess where some of the shapes are. They filled in the body shape, haven't they? Yeah, uh, which is yeah, it's just cool. Um, okay, I think we have just about covered if if i'm going so far as to try and work out who signed a painting in the background of a picture we've probably <laughs> covered everything that we're going to cover um so if anybody would like to find you on the internet uh where can they do that and do you have anything in particular that you'd like to plug the um the best way to find me on the internet is probably on twitter and my twitter handle is at highbrow trash I've not really got anything going on at the minute. Nothing to plug. No way, that's a lie about Kickstarter. (laughs) You've got Kickstarter, which is on for, I believe, the next 17 days. It certainly is, yeah. Which means that if I can work my scheduling out properly, there'll still be some of that left by the time this comes out. So, Brilliant. um, Yeah, so where could people find your Kickstarter if they wanted to? Well, there's links galore on my Twitter for it. Um... Might have taken the piss a bit on that. It is. It's Merrick the Sensational Elephant Man and Doctor Crow. So it's a uh, it's a crossover issue with Corey Freer and Matt Horrocks, Doctor Crow character, um, which was a mini series from two fifteen two one five Inc. 
last year that's very good. So we're doing the kind of the first ever crossover issue on Kickstarter. 80% funded with 17 days to go. How cool is that? And you've got quite a high target as well. Like high from what I would aim my comics for. So. Yeah, because I've got, got to cover everything this time. No, no, room for, no room for error. Right. So the stakes are raised. It's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> um, well, yes, yeah, so everyone should go and back that. Um, if people would like to find me on the internet, um, as I've mentioned before, I am uh, G-R-T-H-I-N-K, which is pronounced Gerthink, and that is my Twitter and Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, I'm also Gerthink. If you want to go look for my very unpopular artist page, which I rarely remember to update. Um, you can buy comics on gerthink.bigcartel.com and uh, this podcast has now gone long enough where I can say you can find us on iTunes and if you could rate and review, li- like leave a, a tasty five star review. That was easily um, a five star podcast, easily. Well, this one, this one in particular. Yeah, easily. Yeah. I, can, I can feel the five star coming off it. It's it's almost like people who have reviewed other other episodes of this podcast will be compelled to go and review this one again just to make sure that people know it's a five star. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I think the trouble is I'm scared that this podcast is going to be too successful uh, and it'll change me as a it's person. It's got the potential. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know. <laughs> it's better to be scared of success than... You know what they say, a full run yeah. of single-issue alpha flights comes before a fall, <laughs> I believe is the old saying. Yeah, it's very famous, especially in Canada. Uh, All right, thank you very much, and uh, I hope that listeners will join me again on another exciting episode of Alpha Point.